0: Welcome to a very special episode of Changing Lives Selling Knives, commemorating Vector Marketing's 35th Strategic Leadership Conference. This is Dan Cassetta, and I've had numerous conversations with leaders in various fields about the unique culture of the Cutco Vector business. We have an environment that truly brings out the best in people, fosters a tremendous spirit of cooperation, creates a family feel, and has led so many amazingly talented leaders to stay in this business for such long and vibrant careers. One of the most common bits of feedback I receive from people who have worked here then moved on to other places is, there's nothing else quite like the Cutco Vector culture. We like to say that there's no other place quite like this place, so this must be the place. What has created such a unique and powerful corporate culture in Cutco Vector? For this special episode, I decided to pull excerpts from three past episodes of the podcast featuring owners of Cutco Corporation who have been pillars of culture creation within Cutco and Vector marketing. Today's episode features Jim Stitt Sr., John Welpley, and Jim Stitt Jr., We'll start with a bit of a history lesson from Jim Stitt Sr., Cutco's Executive Chairman. Jim came to the company in 1975, starting as a manager in manufacturing, and eventually becoming the company's second CEO, following Eric Lane. His comments provide a significant backdrop for understanding how the Cutco Vector culture has evolved. What was the story of
1: Cutco from before you got there? Tell us a little bit about the history. Well, it was, it was uh, started in 1949. And uh, Wherever Aluminum was a cookware, pots and pans business. And they were located in Chillicothe, Ohio. And back in the early 40s, early 40s, uh, the uh, wherever saying we need, what could we sell besides pots and pans in our direct sales business? What could we sell? And the uh, the surgeon come on and said, it ought to be Knives Cutlery. And so they had come here and had had conversations with Case Cutlery, which is located in Bradford, Pennsylvania. And Case is probably one of the oldest cutlery companies in the country. And it was family-owned. And they talked to Case about making some knives for them. What became clear was this Cutco business could grow big enough that Case couldn't do the volume of two different businesses in their factory. So at that, they found this empty plant site. There was a actually a, a, a found or a, a leather works here back in the 30s. It burnt down, and they found this piece of property. And Alcoa says, "We'll buy the plant. Case you be partners with us. You show us how to make knives, and you run the plant, and we'll own the plant." And so it was a 51 49 percent uh, ownership Alcoa to Case, and they started this business and built this factory, which opened in 1949, under the name of ALCAS, right? L-C-A-S, which is Alcoa Case. In the early 82, Alcoa had begun working through, they owned a lot of different companies that were not tied to making aluminum, just making aluminum sheet. And cash had become very tight at that point in time, and, and for all kinds of businesses, so what they were looking at is doing who could we sell that really doesn't have anything to do with making uh, aluminum and, and creating new high tech versions of aluminum, aircraft grades, and that. So they were selling businesses, and wherever they found a buyer for wherever in June of 1982, and the company it was a it was a venture capital group that bought them, but they did not want the knife business, and so with that, uh, Eric uh, Lane. Had uh, some good contacts in Pittsburgh, and between his conversation with them, and they were saying, "Why don't you guys buy this management team there? Why don't you buy the company? You know that let we let's take a look at whether that could work." And so they worked through that for two or three months, and uh, came to the uh, agreement with Alcoa that says, "Okay, we'll we'll sell this business to you," and that was done in September of 1982. So four months after wherever was sold, then Alcas Cutco which was only a $6 million business at that time, bought by a group of five of us, Eric Klain, myself, Bob Lorenz, Dave Curtis, and Ray Kohler. So yeah. five, five owners at that point that did that in 1982. And wow. at that point in time, we were still predominantly private label. You know, I told you I came here to try to build private label. Well, myself and, and others here, we, we did a pretty good job at it. And 65% of our volume was private label. It was not, it was not Cutco product. But that's not a great business to be in is making private label because again, you don't control your destiny when you make stuff for other people. They control how they're going to market and sell it. You just got to hope they do. It was taken us to task at times. So with that said, we got to grow this Cutco business. We are Cutco. We right. are Cutco. Exactly. And so we looked at it and says uh, how we would do that? And a couple of choices were made. You know, one was, you know, we could go and chase low end with business. Or we could stay with Cutco and chase high end. Our decision was, we have to stay high end, high quality, high price. Because somewhere in the world will continue to chase and beat your pants off if you work to the lower end or even to the middle. The race. To so the bottom. that's when we made that decision that we were going to race at the top which had minimal participants. But that's who we really were, though. We knew that's who we were. So we made that decision and then said, we've got to get in bigger. At that point in time, we still had not made any money since 1982. And we borrowed money from the Bank of New York, which had an office here in in Olean. And it was set up as a 15-year mortgage, but it was a three-year renewal call. And we hadn't made any money clear into the second year. And the bank, New York was moving out of Western New York and moving to the East Coast, and they just said, uh, "Hey, we're going to call our mortgage mm-hmm. at the end of the third year, and we hadn't made money, and so we started scrambling for a bank, and uh, talked to a lot of different ones. At that point, our, our CPA was a man named Fran Weenog. He he made contact with with a couple guys that were running a commercial banking office out of Rochester, New York, for the Bank or Connecticut National Bank." And uh, made a contact with them. We had several meetings, and they came down and says, "If you guys can meet your pro forma in 1984, then we'll take on your your line. We'll give you a line, and then you keep that going. We'll take on your mortgage." And so, uh, and we had talked to a bunch of banks. It was getting down to the nitty gritty to where we were. Well, if the bank would pull, we'd find when we would we would have gone bankrupt. We would end it. And so we went to Buffalo, hired a person from the newspaper to come in and start a Cutco office. And there hadn't been an office in Buffalo for years, believe us or not. Here we are at Cutco, we're, in, we're 70 miles from Buffalo, and we never sold product in Buffalo for years. <laughs> so we got it going, he did well. Actually, a few years later, he actually you know was the top office in the country there. But so we're, we're going down that road. But it was going to be a tough road to keep going to every city and trying to do what we did in Buffalo. But we knew we could do it. The other was, could we buy the biggest, the biggest customer we had out there, which was a man called, uh, the, the owner was Don Frieda and the company was Vector Market. Yeah. And so we, we talked with Don for about six to nine months about here's what we really both need to do for the good of the company. Because if we don't do something like this, neither one of us might not be around. So we need to, we need to merge, get together and grow. So uh, we did do that in 1985. Uh, Don Frieda Vector joined us. And I think at that point in time, we had about, I think, 13 offices or something like that. And it was yep. on the Northeast. And then from there, we said, okay, now we got, the, we got some of the Northeast covered. But what about the Central United States and what about the West Coast? Yep. And so the first move we made is talking with, with Don Muehrath, who owns CWE, with the name of his company, in California. And we put that deal together. And so we had Dom Muiroth. So we had the East and the West Coast covered. And then we talked to Marty Dimitrovich in Chicago, company Breckmar, and we bought them. And so what we had is we we virtually had the United States kind of covered from three major places. Right. And we went from 13 offices to 26 offices and started started building offices. And that's really, uh, that was the beginning of the beginning
0: so you came in in 1975 eric lane came in in 1977 and the seeds of the culture of the company that we know today began being sown there in those early days how did you and eric in particular shape the culture of the company in those in those early days
1: yeah, we had good people management and the people were it was oil and water at times i mean we love they love what they did they loved FUCKO product but there wasn't a lot of trust either way you know and and didn't really know each other and when eric came and clearly what it was is what we need to do is we need to know each other and he spent a lot of time out in that factory floor now, i spent most of my time on the factory floor floor as manufacturing manager and even having meetings, if we're going to have a meeting, let's go have it in the, in the aisleway out there with a few guys and, and do that. But get to know people. I knew everybody on that floor, and I knew most of their kids' names and and wives' names, and and we got to know people. And it's and, you know we're we're a family. Culture was family, you know. Where it's just not we're the owners, or and we're here, and you're the workers, and you go do your thing. And and it was not. We all come here, and we all do what it takes to do. To be winners. And, and so it was from that point, it was people first. You take care of people, they take care of you. You know, you, you do things for and then The key is mutual respect. And we became a culture of mutual respect. When we bought the company in '82, there wasn't Uncle Al anymore. <laughs> there is no Alcoa out. They're going to bail us out. We either make it or break it on our own. And that was a big moment in our culture, also, is that. You know, when you take away that outside influence and that outside pr- thinking protection, it's us. You had the sales team, and they're out there doing their thing. You know, and not and leave us. Don't don't come around. And you had the manufacturing team, and both didn't know or appreciate each other, mm-hmm. understand each other. And that changed here also is you know how many times we brought people from the field in, uh, is so we could get to know them. And they could get to know us or people on that floor could get to know you. You know, when you walk through that plant, how many people wonder how they could help you. What they knew was that the business doesn't go anywhere. You can have the best product in the world, which they knew they had. But if you can't sell it, you got nothing. And the salespeople coming through this plant know that we're great salespeople. But if you let that product slip, you let that quality slip, you don't make deliveries, we're out of business. And so it was, a, it was a really mutual respect that was built there. And we just continued to build on that to where there's not a lot of companies that I think that the sales team and the manufacturing team is married as close as our business. You use the word family to describe our culture. You also said when thinking about
0: which avenue you wanted to go to in terms of you know, the, uh, what products to produce, that quality, right, the high end, that's who we are. When I think about the Cutco culture, I think about these words: family and quality. What else comes to mind if I make the statement the Cutco culture is? Right. What other words would you use to to finish that statement?
1: Love, appreciation, respect, thankful. I mean, everybody's thankful for what each other does do for each other. They're thankful that they're here. I mean, we are a small rural community, fourteen thousand people, and only in New York. We employ over 700. We've been as high as at times in the summertime, we get up eight or 900 employees, 14,000 people in the community, rural, 70 miles closest biggest city is Buffalo. So we are pretty important. Now, we don't take that for granted. We take it as a responsibility. And to the people, they know that as we, you know, we all as a family, our employees, the owners, we're all responsible to this community and to our customers. I mean, we got to do good work and do it on time to protect all those millions of customers that we've had since 1949. We have these people that live in this community. Well, Cuckoo was pretty doggone important to be here, but so is everything in town. But we're important, you know, and so, and we carry that that responsibility. Really, we carry it strongly. It's big and that we need to play our part. It's a social responsibility. We call it stakeholder responsibility. We're, we're responsible to the employees. We're responsible to the community. We're responsible to our customers. And you do all those things right, and you got to make some money or you can't do those things. But money isn't the end all. Money helps, but you have to do those other things. That's fueled by the vector of our salespeople. that They got to sell the product so people here can keep making product. And, and the people here have to keep making good product So more and more people can sell and make careers in the vector business. Yeah. It's it's a really us. Yeah. Everything is us. I'd like to comment
0: on Jim's closing words there. Everything's us in business. This concept can be scary, but it can also be incredibly liberating. When you have a chance to shape an organization from a to Z, it's a very powerful position and one that comes with great responsibility. Every leader in Vector has that chance with their own team, and this is why it's so important that people espouse the values described by Jim Stitt Sr. We'll now move on to John Welpley, who has had a unique position with tremendous crossover between the Olean-based Cutco team and the field sales organization of Vector Marketing. As the company's longtime CFO, John was responsible for safeguarding the company's financial stability. He managed this task in a manner that emphasized a people-first strategy for decision-making that has affectionately become known as the Vector Way. John starts here by describing his relationships and interactions with many of Vector's top field leaders, then gets into the subject of generosity.
2: I've been fortunate because one of the things I've had is I've had the opportunity to work with every one of our sales leaders and actually have some great personal interaction times with them. Uh, starting with Don Frieda. Don Frieda was the founder of Vector. And while I was in Philadelphia, I got to spend uh, quite a bit of time with them, both on a personal basis, him and Teresa. Don Murath, who I got to work with for two years in Napa and had some great times with him and Marty. And then Mike Lancelot. Mike and Joni are wonderful people. They're warm, they're genuine, they're very outgoing. And Mike was always willing to sit and spend the time and talk and visit. And of course, Bruce Goodman and Aldi Leonardo also have had wonderful times with Barbara, with um, Madeline and their husbands. Um, They're again, part of what makes the culture of this business so good is that our leaders are real people and they're genuine people that care about people and they're willing to give of themselves and their families. Um, The time uh, that is so hard to get with your families, they're still willing to share that. And I know that both Bruce and Al hold regular events where they're bringing people to their homes or visiting and spending quality time with them. And again, in today's day and age, a lot of people don't do that. I think that's a real... Key thing in our culture is that there is caring and attention from the top. Jim Junior is the same way with Susanna. So it's not just the sales side; it's also all the ownership side in that that aspect. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, you know, one of the things that has made me want to stay around here so long is the quality of the people who were around, and that has been very, very important part of keeping so many of us in the company for so long. So it's cool.
2: Well, I'll give you credit and the rest of the RM's credit as well because you carry that on as well. There's a genuine caring and concern about people and the way we treat people. And that is, I think, probably one of the biggest things. And, and some of that goes to, I think, Dan, an idea that you talked a little bit about when we were visiting about this podcast is the vector way. Um, I know for me, in my role, and you complimented me on the balance between financial and people. That's part of the vector way. When we look at things, we're trying to make decisions that say, hey, what is right for everybody? And Bob Lorenz taught me the Rotarian way, the four-way test. Is it fair and right? And that goes for both the individual and the organization. And sometimes those things can be a conflict, but quite often, a decision for what's right for an individual is not wrong for the organization. It may not be the most positive or the absolute best answer, but it's not wrong. So so often, and Bruce is a big proponent of this, is how do we make sure we're doing things the vector way when we're taking care of people? Mm-hmm. your individuals. We need programs and and policies in place to be able to manage things. But we also have a tremendous flexibility. Because again, we're looking at people. right? You know, and how do you treat the people the right way? It's a fine line sometimes, but usually it's not a tough one to do the right thing for the people. And that's the vector way. If we were to ask people,
0: what is one of your great qualities? I'm sure that generosity is one of the things that a lot of people would say about you. And it, it is an interesting balance that a leader like you has to find. And I just feel like you've done a great job of finding that balance. And you know, maybe you could speak a little more about that and you know, just how did that evolve with you? Where did it come from? And how do you implement that
2: on a regular basis? Well, first, um, thank you for the compliment. Um, I learned some of that back again with my father. My father was a small business owner. And there were times where he knew of families that had issues or problems that things appeared to help them, whether it be equipment, whether it be tools or that he had in his business that he could loan to them with no question asked, or even a basket of food. And he never promoted that. He never said to anyone, This is what I did. It just happened and that was it. Um, So I believe in a lot of that same. Um, humility towards being generous. If you have to broadcast your generosity, then it's not generosity, it's publicity. Hmm. Um, and I, again, I'll compliment some people in our business. Um, you may have had a chance to see the new recruiting video and the fact that we highlight Angel Wings, Front Row Foundation, PP&J, Things that our people are doing to give back. And the only reason why some of those things are publicized is to help raise awareness. And I know that there are a lot of people, yourself included, are doing things on an individual basis that aren't publicized. But when you look at some of those organizations and what some of our people are doing, they're living that same thing of generosity. And they're engaging people. And it's amazing. I mean, Brad Britton and some of the efforts that he has led on Cutco trips to find ways to give back. John Keane with the CSP community and all the things. In fact, one of my fondest memories is working in New Orleans after the hurricane Mm -hmm. and rebuilding the Habitat for Humanity. Right. Rebuilding a roof down in the Ninth Ward. And the owner of the house that we were building showed up. He was in the 70s. And he climbed up on the roof to say thank you to all of us as we're putting a new roof on this house. And his daughter showed up and chewed him out because dad shouldn't be on the roof at 77 years
0: old. <laughs> <laughs> that was when the our CSP team had a conference That's, in New Orleans, right, right? Right. Shortly
2: after that, right? That's where we went down to the ninth ward and worked for Habitat for Humanity. We had so many people show up. We actually were working on three different houses all the same day. It's given back. And I've been very fortunate. I've had a very successful career. I've worked hard at it and I've been rewarded well for it. And to give back to others is something that we should do. You watched a lot of the the great businesses of the early nineteenth century and the Andrew Carnegies and those who built millions of dollars. The old library restaurant where many people have had dinner was originally an Andrew Carnegie Library. And the fact that he donated money for a library to be built only in New York, he accepted a social responsibility. As we reap our rewards, we should share them back with others.
0: As we reap rewards, we should share them back with others. That last quote truly summarizes the Vector way. The company has strived to create a model that shares its success with people at all levels, from the unlimited pay opportunities we have created, to the bonuses that are shared with the field, to the amazing first-class trips that we take with our teams, and all the other ways that we make people feel recognized, rewarded, and appreciated. These things can happen because we are a family business. With the Stitt family as primary owners, we are in good hands. This episode will end with some inspiring words from Jim Stitt Jr., the current CEO of Cutco Corporation. What do you think contributes to this atmosphere and culture, and what's it
3: like working in the factory? Well, you know, the short answer, it's how we treat each other. Respect is so deeply integrated into our culture, and it's a family-like culture, and you know, Eric Lane really deserves the credit for getting that established, because when Eric came to work at the outcast factory in 1977, uh, we did not have that culture at all. It was a pretty rough culture. And Eric, you know, he took the time to walk around and get to know people and, and understand who they are and, and understand what they did at work and, and listen to them and wanted to know about their families. And, and he shared with them and he, and he he knocked down many of those walls. And then, of course, you know, you just fast forward a little bit and, you know, they saw Eric and my dad buy the company and, and save the company, if you will. And, and then they needed their help a couple years later and the employees helped them weather through it. And then they shared with them and when they made it. And, you know, those experiences just really created a real Trust between management, the owners, and everybody else in the organization, and and that has just really been building for the past thirty five years. But in the environment that we have, people truly come first, and it's a family like environment. And we communicate with each other, and we listen, and we care, and we laugh, and we have fun, and we work hard, and we get results. And people come to work every day because. They really like the people they're working with. And, you know, I think one of the testaments that we continue to hear that, that I think speaks to that point is, you know, when it comes time for somebody to think about retirement, they struggle with retiring from here. And whether they're on their way out or they've already retired, the, the common theme that I hear is I miss the people or I'm going to miss the people. You know, I've retired and I've found myself to, I can do without the work and I'm enjoying that piece, but I love the, uh, I miss the people. And that's what that's saying is is they, they miss the environment of, of how we treat each other. And an awful lot of respect and care and trust is what we really drive in this business. And you know, like I said, we put people first. We don't make business decisions that affect people. We make people decisions that affect our business. And Eric and my dad mastered that for so many years. And, you know, it's just under the notion of if you take care of your people, your people will take care of your business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've got 30 years of experience that has proven that very point.
0: So that's such a great insight, Jim. And, you know, I've had some, some conversations with people in, in my circle here in the Silicon Valley about this concept and about the Cutco culture and is the Cutco culture, can it be transferable to other businesses? And interestingly enough, some people say, oh yeah, we do, we do all those same things. Like we work on getting to know our employees on a personal level. We work on developing our people on a personal level. We work on helping them set dreams and goals that are outside of their work and help them to achieve those things. And it's all part of motivating them to want to stay here and do better here. And other people say, oh, you know what? We're a publicly held company and we've got to answer to our shareholders and we've got to focus more on the short term. And we can't do stuff like that because it's long-term thinking versus short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Cutco is not a publicly held company. Right. And you're able to make all those decisions along with the other leadership team and and board. Right. How do you balance that sort of long-term versus short-term thinking that, uh, that comes into play?
3: You know, that's a great question. And in one sense you could say, well, you take our culture and you'd say it's transferable. In some cases it is, in some cases it isn't. But certainly in, in our case, we've been successful. The business has to be successful. You can't do those things for your people. And you know, we're we're so fortunate that we are we're in a world where, you know, the purpose of our of our organization is not profit. And like you say, there's so many companies where their purpose is profit. Mm. our purpose is not profit. However, financial health is very important and we are very mindful of profits. You know, there's got to be a profit to keep the organization going so we can take care of our people. If the profits aren't there, you can't take care of your people. Well, we're able to take care of our people. We're able to put people first because we are financially healthy, but it doesn't mean that our purpose is profit. And that's a big thing that sets a private company aside from a publicly traded company. So it would be very difficult to do what we're doing and to have the culture that we have in a public company. But we can do it as a private company because we can make those decisions, we can call those shots.
0: What is your vision for the future of Cutco?
3: The short and sweet vision of our company is to be a company of great products and great people and to be a company of purpose, great purpose. So I guess the vision becomes how do we maximize? the impact that we have you know on our little footprint of the world how can we grow the impact that we have on all of the people that we get the opportunity to work with and you know it it starts with our you know with our team and you know when eric and my dad bought the company they did it to save jobs they did it to save livelihoods and over time it's, it's become so much more than that you know yeah, we're trying to provide jobs for our factory and 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 provide jobs for this entire sales organization that we have, but it's more than just having a job it's having a job that allows you to pursue happiness and fulfillment and we want our people to maximize their talent within the business and and we want them to be a part of something that's that's bigger than themselves and have a positive impact on people around them and whether it's the people that they're working with or it's our customers or it's people outside the business, whether it's the community that they live in or supporting charities, you know, how can we take that and expand our footprint in this big world that we live in, our tiny little footprint in the world we live in? We live today in an environment of rapidly changing and competitive world, more so than I think it ever has been. The world is changing so much faster. And the pursuit of being a sustainable company, the pursuit of being a company that's built to last, the pursuit of being a company that can stand the test of time is something that we can't take lightly. And we have a great foundation with our product and our people and our values and our distribution approach. So we've got that great foundation. And As I look at our foundation and I look at the team of people that we have, you know, hey, it's exciting to come to work every day and say, we're going to solve these problems. We're going to go make this happen. And uh, it's going to be a positive thing for a lot of people. So, you know, just certainly in the short term, the next five to 10 years, like I said, the world is changing quick on us. But I deeply believe that what our company stands for and what our company offers absolutely fits in today's world. We just have to figure out how to navigate our business in this world that's uh, very competitive, very noisy, uh, a world that's very small. I'm excited to to see what we're going to accomplish.
0: Yeah, it's going to be great for sure. How do you wish for the Cutco Vector organization to change people's lives in the years ahead?
3: One of the great things about our organization and it really exists within vector is it's just that pursuit of personal growth and uh, pursuit of being the best version of yourself and when you tie that into a culture that has values of serving others and taking care of others now then what you have is you have talented people that are successful that have the ability to help take care of people around us that could use some help. You know, and there's so many stories and examples of, you know, where we're we're supporting charities and, and giving back and paying it forward. And, you know, our company does it in a way that other companies just don't do it. It really makes me proud to know that it's part of what this whole podcast is about you know changing lives selling knives but it may seem a little silly of an analogy but it truly is i mean making and selling knives is the vehicle for us to create livelihood and if we create good livelihoods with the backbone of great values then we have the ability to impact people outside of our business and be an example and inspire others within our world to be better and quite honestly our world could use a little bit more of that these days Our
0: world could use more leaders like Jim Stitt Jr. and more companies like Cutco Vector Marketing. We are doing so much more than selling knives. We are truly changing lives in the world. From the community in Olean that greatly benefits from this thriving heartbeat that is the Cutco headquarters there, to all the people who come into Vector Marketing and get to experience a piece of this amazing corporate culture. From all the current team of Vector sales and management leaders who are living this culture on a daily basis, to all of our great alumni who are helping to spread this culture to places all around the world, we are changing the world one day at a time, one person at a time, and leaving a legacy that will be felt forever. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, and that you continue to support this podcast by sharing the great work that we are all doing in the world. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.